of a promise before Moses, before the Exodus, before we had the Ten Commandments, before Israel was a nation, and long before the arrival of Jesus, God came to Abram and said, this is Genesis chapter 12, He said, I want you to go from your country, I want you to go from your family, and I want you to go to the land that I'm going to show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, He said, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. We are a people called out by God and sent forth by God who are blessed by Him in order to be a blessing to others. That's the promise by which the people of God have operated. And it's to recognize what God has given us and proclaim that message to all the families of the earth. That was the task that was given to Abraham, the blessing to be a blessing. Now, that's the point of May Missions Month, and it's why over the next three weeks, uh, during this time, during this sermon, we're going to look at three texts under the heading of blessing. Each of these texts contain blessings that are commonly used, you've heard them before, at the end of our worship services where we use them as a, as a benediction. Now, we're going to start with probably the most famous of the benedictions in the Bible, the most famous of blessings. It's in Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 to 27. That's the the text on which this morning's teaching is going to be based. And so if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to Numbers chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 22. If you want to use one of the blue pew Bibles that are there in the chair racks, then uh, you can find Numbers chapter 6 on page 145. Now, it's not very long, uh, but as you turn there, let me invite you to stand as I read this. And when I'm finished, I'm going to make the declaration that this is the Word of the Lord and invite you to respond by saying, thanks be to God. Number six, starting at verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, thus you shall bless the people of Israel, you shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So shall they put My name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, I think I mentioned this um, last summer but it's particularly appropriate with the text that we're looking at today. Back in, in March of 2020, a large church in North Carolina debuted a sign, a song during their worship service, and they weren't trying to be original. In fact, they were attempting to be very old, very old, uh, because the simple song that they, uh, that they debuted, the, the music was new, the simple song that they debuted was essentially taking the Bible's most famous benediction and putting it to music, the words of Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It was called The Blessing. And they had no idea over the, uh, the, the literally the next month that came and the months that, uh, that followed as the planet descended into COVID lockdown all over the world. They had no idea that the song would just explode. And it would be recorded by musicians and, and singers around the world, often who were singing by themselves in a room with a microphone and a video camera and then edited together into these video song compilations that would be a blessing to many. And I'm sure for many who heard it, even many who were comforted by it, the true meaning of the words, even the the title of the song, the true meaning of the blessing would have been not fully understood. In fact, the the idea of blessing in general is frequently misunderstood. 
I attended a couple of meetings over the last week or so in Atlanta. And of course, when you go into the South, it's very common to hear someone wanting to bless your heart. Right? They do that all the time. Bless your heart. And more universally here, you know, even, you know, we, we, we say, when, when do we most often hear, God bless you? Right? When someone sneezes, right? And in neither case, generally, do people have something explicitly Christian in mind when they, when they say that. Now, sometimes Christians will attempt to be distinctive by, by using the word blessing. You know, the common greeting, you know, so how you doing? How you doing? Come up to someone and say, how you doing? Sometimes Christians, I've heard Christians do this, they'll attempt to be distinctive instead of just the common, how you doing? No, I'm good. They'll say, I'm blessed. And that's good. It's interesting because it's different, right? And so it can, it can sometimes elicit a response. Huh, that's interesting because most people just say, I'm good. And they don't even know if they're good or not, but they just, it's just kind of a response. But someone says, I'm blessed. Yeah, that's different. Maybe it incites a conversation. That's not a bad thing. But even then, we have to confess that a lot of times people will use that word and they're not really thinking to the depths of what that word means means. The one thing that everyone does instinctively seem to understand by the frequency of the way the word is used is that in some sense, getting a blessing is a good thing. In fact, in some sense, needing a blessing is an absolutely essential and universal kind of a thing. We need approval and affirmation. Now, of course, the most self-reliant among us would say, no, I don't. I don't, I don't need anyone else's approval, right? We might even think that's a virtue, but it's not true. Now, who we, who we get our approval from, that, that can be problematic. Who we attempt to find our affirmation from, that can, that can be a big issue in, in people's lives. But the fact that we somehow instinctually need a blessing, that we need affirmation, well, that actually is, is very, very true. And that's why I want to look at this morning, uh, using this most famous of blessings in the Bible, I want to look at when the blessing occurs, who the blessing's for, what the blessing is and how the blessing arrives, right? What the, what the, how the blessing occurs or when the blessing occurs, who's the blessing's for, what the blessing is, and how the blessing arrives. Now, first, when the blessing occurs. Now, here's, here's where we get the important understanding of our need for the blessing and how remarkable it is that we receive it. Because the most obvious thing to note about when this text occurs in the history of the of the world and in the Bible, the most obvious thing to note is that it occurs in a post-Genesis 3 world. Now, what happened in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, living in the perfect presence of God, enjoying all the blessings of God's care and God's protection, they decided that they would choose the cursing of God rather than the blessing of God. That's what happened in Genesis chapter 3. God had come to them, and he said to Adam, don't eat from the, tr- the, fr- the tree of the fruit of uh, the, tr- the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit from that tree. For in the day that you eat of it, he said, you will surely die. They were given a choice. Do this and live, blessing. Do this and die, cursing. So there's more to know. But before we know anything more, we need to recognize that the blessing is coming to the people of God in a post-curse world. So that should make us wonder right there. How can that be? Now, second thing to note about when this blessing occurs is is the more specific timing of it in a post-curse world. In other words, all of human history after Adam is in a a post-curse world. So that's not totally unique because all of us everywhere have lived in that world. But this is the book of Numbers. What What makes that so special? And the book of Numbers, because the book of Numbers explains what the people of Israel did after they left Mount Sinai and, they, and before they entered into the Promised Land. 
right? So what happened, at, what happened at Mount Sinai? Well, that's the place where God gave to Moses the Ten Commandments, gave to Moses the law. And it's also the place where the whole nation of Israel almost ended before they started. Right? Because while Moses was up on the mountain meeting with God, getting the, getting the law of God, the people were complaining about how, ru- how rough life had become and, and rebelling against Moses. And they convinced Moses' brother Aaron to make for them an idol in the image of a calf, and they began to worship this idol. And God had every right at that moment to end things right there. But somehow, and this is what we need to figure out, here we are in Numbers and we see God, instead of enacting the curse that should have happened, we see God pronouncing blessing on this very same people. And it's not as if God looked into the future and He saw that everything from this point was going to be okay. All right, yep, got it. We live in a post-curse world. We had that little thing with the calf, but from now on, everything's going to everything's going to be good. So on that basis, I'll give my blessing. No, in just a few short chapters, we're going to see the Israelites' rebellious lack of faith on their part. They doubt God's ability to bring them into the promised land. It's too great. It's too big. It's too hard. I don't want to go. Right, and that's going to mean forty years of wandering in the desert for God's people before they get to enter into the promised land. And still, with God knowing that full well that it was going to happen, still He pronounces His blessing. Now, here's where this matters for us, because each of us is in the middle of a of a, of a, of a journey where we have rightly and justly and appropriately forfeited our right to God's blessing. We live in a post curse post-golden calf world. And if we're honest, we're also living in a pre-other kinds of sin world in our lives as well. That's the reality. We have lost God's favor. We have lost the right to His loving presence, and this is our greatest need. Now, you probably haven't cast a golden cow and bowed down to it, right? But you've made other things in your life more important than God, right? You've given Him, you've given to those things the devotion and the honor that only God deserves. Now, you probably haven't stood at the edge of the territory of of ancient Canaan and said, God, I don't want to go into that land. But we've all taken things in our life and we said, God, I just don't think that I can trust you with that. I know you've brought me thus far, but what you have in front of me is just too hard. I don't think I can trust you with that. And so all of us begin in a position of cursing rather than in a position of blessing. Cursing is our just, our just state of being, the appropriate state of being. It's what we deserve. And it's at that moment when we realize the implications of that that the blessing occurs. Okay, so number one, when does the blessing occur? At the exact moment when we deserve the opposite. Now, number two, point number two, who the blessing's for. All right, now my apologies to students of the English language. I recognize the appropriate way to phrase that is not who the blessing is given for, but for whom the blessing is given. I recognize and agree that there is a tragic underuse of the word whom in today's contemporary speech, that someone ought to stand up for that, someone ought to, someone ought to stand up for whom. But it's not going to be me today. Right? Now, because this works better in my points, right? Who the blessing's for. In one sense, it's very broad. At the beginning of chapter 6, God is telling Moses about a very special order of Israelite who would make the vow of a Nazarite, right? Very, very special vow. They would do certain things. They would follow special rules that showed their devotion to God, and, 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 and they would have this very special call upon their lives. 
They had a very tightly controlled diet. They couldn't cut their hair. There was lots of extra rules. And we shouldn't, we shouldn't make light of that. We shouldn't make fun of that. It was very serious business, and it was a special act of devotion to the Lord and the people who took this, this vow. But the audience of verses 22 to 27 shifts from the audience of verses 1 to 21 when it's talking about the specific Nazarite vow. It's not just the Nazarites now. It's everyone in the community of Israel who is to have this blessing. And this matters to us because it says that God's blessing is not just reserved for like an elite strike team of God's people. It's not just for the pastors and the elders. It's not just for the missionaries and the martyrs. It's for everyone. It's for the whole people of God. Now, on the other hand, note for whom, see I used whom there, note for whom the blessing is not. The blessing is not for those who are not God's people. So in that sense, it's, it, is, it is limited. And immediately the objections may come. Well, that's not fair. That's not fair. God's withholding His blessing from some people. That's not, that's not right. Someone should maybe sue God or something to, to make Him give His blessing to everyone. We need equity of blessing. That's what we need. And I want to, I want to sympathize with, with part of that because it at least acknowledges that, that what we said at the beginning, that, that everyone does feel some sort of a need for blessing, that we should that we should have it, that it's something that we should have. Now, on the other hand, though, remember point number one. Remember the context for the blessing. It's, it's given at a point in time. It's given when no one deserves it. In fact, just the opposite. We deserve His cursing, right? So, yes, God withholds His blessing from some, but that's never an injustice because justice is for everyone to get the cursing. So, the question in light of that ought to be, why is it that anyone gets the blessing? And if you really think that it's something desirable, that it's something that people should have, then you should be asking, how does one get this blessing? Well, how the blessing arrives is point number four, though we haven't gotten there yet. Before, before we do that, let's take, a, let's take a look at point number three, what this blessing actually is. Because before you decide, is this, it, is this something that I care about, how it comes to me, how it arrives, you should know a little bit more about what it is. Now, there is a bit of frustration for the pastor here because every one of these phrases in verses 24, 25, and 26 could probably be its own amazing sermon. And there's so much that you could say just simply about the, the poetry here. The, the actual blessing itself is verses 24, 25, and 26. There's three statements there. Each begins with the Lord, and that's the covenant name for God, Yahweh or, or, or Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God, of the, the God of the promise, the name by which God identified Himself to Moses in the, in the burning bush. It all begins with God, and it's absolutely beautiful poetry, but the blessing is far more than the, than the style. In fact, the style without the content is beautiful, but it's useless. The real beauty of the benediction is what the benediction says, the Lord bless you and keep you. To keep. It's the same word God used in His command to Adam in the Garden of Eden. Adam was to, to keep it. It means to guard, to protect, to exercise great care for, to, to defend. The goalie is called a goalkeeper because he is to protect and defend the goal. This is how God acts on behalf of His people. He is their protector. He's their defender. The blessing of God is the defense and protection of His people. Now, and it says, the Lord makes His face. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. 
Now, again, remember the immediate context and, and think about how remarkable this is. Moses, right, to whom God is speaking here in Numbers chapter 6, Moses had been up on Mount Sinai meeting with God, and when he was there, he had made the request to see God's glory. And God said, can't do that. Can't do it. You're a convicted rebel who deserves cursing, not blessing. My holiness would tear you up. You wouldn't survive full exposure to my glory. But he says to Moses, I'll tell you what. He says, you get in the cleft of the rock. You get in this little niche of the rock here, and I'm going to pass by, and you'll catch a glimpse, just a glimpse of my glory. But even just that little glimpse left Moses' face shining so bright that Moses had to wear a veil. The blessing of God is the presence of His shining face on us. His face is smiling. That's the sense of these words here. Right? His face of favor that doesn't destroy us but communicates pleasure and joy as if we're the recipient of God's smile. It's, it's the same idea when it says the Lord lift up His countenance upon you. Face and countenance are the same, the same Hebrew word. And to lift up one's face is to take notice of someone. And it's a phrase that's actually frequently used when it's speaking of someone who is a superior taking notice of someone who is an inferior, someone of higher rank noticing someone of lower rank. My, my grandfather's unit in the, in the army served under the command of General Patton in France in, in World War II. And he told me one time about the time when um, when General Patton was driving by where my grandfather was standing, and General Patton yelled at my grandfather because my grandfather wasn't wearing his helmet. And, and, and even in that, even, and then the general moved on. That was it. That was my grandfather's brush with greatness. That was it right there. But even then, my grandfather couldn't tell the story without a smile, without a sense of pride, because even negatively, he had been noticed by the general. To have the face of God, however, though, is far different. I mean, yes, we're noticed by someone who's, who is a superior, but we are noticed by someone who is not, in this sense, disciplining, correcting, yelling. We are noticed by the full favor of God. We are being held in esteem. We have God's favor upon us, and it's not a scary thing. It's a wonderful thing. And finally, the last thing it says is the, the peace of God. Now, this, of course, is the, the shalom, far more than the absence of war. This is a, this is a state of total, well, total well-being, and this is the full and the final end of God's blessing. This is, where, this is where it ends up. God's shalom is not just an uneasy truce, like, okay, all right, let's, let's just put the guns down, we'll kind of just take a break here, where, you know, where the warring sides sort of break from the, from the fighting. It's not putting away the guns and the bombs, but still hating each other, still not trusting each other. Shalom is total prosperity, a return to, to harmony, a, a return to absolute rightness, the rightness of all things. Now, this is what God's blessing is. Now, finally then, if that's what it is, how can we get it? Because who wouldn't want that if you really thought through what that was, if you really believed that that's what it was? The God of the universe looking down on you with a smiling face, with full favor, ending in complete and total sense of peace and prosperity and well-being. If you went up to someone and said, would you like to have a complete absence of hostility in your life? 
Would you like to live a life where everything works perfectly, where everyone lives in harmony and with love with one another? Would you like that kind of blessing? Wouldn't you want that? You might get people who don't think it's possible, but no one would look at you and say, no thanks, I don't want that. How do you get it though? Right? Or better stated, how does the blessing get to us? Well, it arrives from God, first of all. It's His idea. It's His initiative. Notice Moses doesn't go to God and say, God, how about we get one of those blessings that you give sometimes? How about we get one of those? No, the Lord goes to Moses and says, this is what you need to tell Aaron and the priests to tell the people. You need to tell them the blessing that they are then to pronounce on the people of Israel. It's God's idea. And about Aaron and his sons, did you notice that? Whose job is it to pronounce the blessing on the people? Whose job was it? The high priest and the high priest's representatives. Right? In other words, the blessing from God can't come, doesn't come directly from the Lord to His people without coming through the priest. It tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 10, chapter 21, the priests were the ones who were assigned to blessing the people in the name of the Lord. Now, why the need for a priest? Right? Well, it goes back to the problem that we have with this blessing all along. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, there is this pairing of blessing and cursing. Obey God, you receive blessing. Right? Disobey God, and you receive cursing. It's very clear as you read through the Scriptures. This is, the, this, this is what happens. Now, the problem is that in the entire history of Israel, in the entire history of humanity, given that choice, we choose cursing. And so you and I don't deserve the blessing. We deserve the cursing of God. Now, what's the priest going to do about it? Well, the priests were the ones who made the sacrifices. And it was incredibly significant that the priests were giving the, given the job of both performing the sacrifice and then pronouncing the blessing upon God's people because the priests would have understood the significance of this. They understood the significance of sin, and they understood that sacrificial atonement was necessary in order to deal with sin and then to be able to pronounce the blessing. The job of the high priest was clearly explained and in detail in the law of Moses. It's all laid out in the book of Leviticus, which comes right before the book of Numbers. And, and the job of the high priest was a, a bloody job because the consequences of sin are extremely serious. The blessing here in number six is often referred to as the ironic blessing. That's not the ironic blessing as in, oh yeah, blessing. It's not the ironic blessing. It's the ironic blessing, the blessing of Aaron. And traditionally, in the temple worship service, the ironic blessing would be pronounced at the end, after the sacrifices had been made in the prescribed way. It was a proclamation that the blessing of God rested upon His people, and that the sacrifices had been accepted as an atonement. In the New Testament, most clearly in the book of Hebrews, we read what the people, the faithful Israelites of, of the Old Testament knew in some sense, that the blood of the animal sacrifice, though necessary, was ne was, was, would, would not be ultimately sufficient. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And the point of Hebrews 10 is that a better sacrifice made by a better priest had come. When Jesus was on the cross, He was both the priest offering the sacrifice and the sacrifice itself offered in our place for the removal of sins. It was the ultimate Yom Kippur, the ultimate day of atonement, the ultimate sacrifice. But in ancient Israel, the sacrifice on the day of atonement was the end of the service. 
right? It was not the end of it. It, 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 was, it, was, it came at the end, the sacrifice, but then how did they know? They would wait. They would wait for the priest to come out of the Holy of Holies to, to know, was it, was it sufficient? Was it enough? Was the sacrifice accepted? And so when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and, 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 and when he made the sacrifice, all of Israel, the representatives were looking, is he going to come out? Is the sacrifice going to be accepted? And then it was, when the high priest came out, and not before, that the blessing was pronounced, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Well, in the book of Luke, after the death of Jesus, the disciples, even those who would have rightly understood Jesus' death as an atoning sacrifice, even those who had listened to what He said and knew that He had to die, even they would have wondered the same question that the people of Israel looking at the entrance to the Holy of Holies would have wondered, was it accepted? Was it enough? Did it work? In Luke chapter 24, Jesus appeared to two of His disciples after He had been crucified on a road to the town of Emmaus, and He explains to them as He's going all the significance of what had happened and how it had fulfilled what the prophets had said. And those two disciples then go back to the rest of the disciples, and they're talking about what Jesus had told them on the road. And it says in Luke 24, 36, as they were talking amongst themselves about these things, Jesus stood among them and he said to them, peace to you. The high priest had returned from the Holy of Holies. And the first word that Jesus said to this newly assembled church was the last word of the blessing, shalom. The sacrifice had been made, the sacrifice had been accepted, and the peace of God be upon you. Why does that matter? Why does any of this matter? What difference does it make? There's lots of implications and stuff for it, but let me skip to the most important one. One of the things I read was that the earliest archaeological discovery that contained the covenant name of God written out, Jehovah, in Jerusalem um, is a silver amulet that, was, that contained the Aaronic blessing written out. And the amulet was found in a tomb that they date to the 7th or 6th century B.C., in a tomb. That's where they found the ironic blessing. It's evidence that even in death, the people of God possess the assurance of God's favor, even in death, especially in death. I had the profound privilege of officiating at the funeral for Jerry yesterday, Jerry Deans. And funerals are rightly sober occasions because death is serious. It's not funny. It's not to be taken lightly. But the beauty of attending a funeral of someone who has put their faith and their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus is the knowledge that God's face smiles on Jerry today. The realized blessing of God, the Lord's shalom, is future promise no more. It is experiential reality. And yet, I don't want you to think that that blessing that is, Jerry's in its fullness is in any way something that is only future tense for you because Christ's sacrifice has been made fully and finally. And he says to you, peace. He's not just simply talking about a possibility. He's pronouncing a reality. You are marked and you are owned by him. 
Number 6, 27, explains that when the priests pronounce the blessing, it shall be putting God's name upon the people of Israel. That's the significance. When you do this, this is how you will put my name on these people. And because of Jesus, that's you. When someone is baptized, remember how it happens? We baptize in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. We baptize by placing God's name upon the recipient. Set apart, named for blessing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing that you have shown to us in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that that blessing would enable us to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Help us to see how you are at work among us. And let that work be your glory and our praise and our benefit. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to the Lord's Supper recognizing that this is His table. It is an institution that the Lord Jesus made on the night that He was betrayed when He was about to make that sacrifice on behalf of His people. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul records the incident when he says the Lord Jesus on the night that He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. This table is a community celebration of God's people. It is intended for all those who have had God's name put upon them, who are a part of God's church and are not barred by God's church from participating in the supper. So you needn't be a member of Calvary Presbyterian Church in order to participate, but you ought to be a part of a church where this gospel is proclaimed and taught. If that isn't true for you, or if you're unsure, then the encouragement, the warning on the, of the Apostle Paul is to let the, let the elements pass by as they are served. There is no shame in that because we do not believe that you're here, if that is you, for by any chance or fate or accident or mistake. You're here so you can watch, so you can observe, so you can consider the implications of what is happening here upon your own soul. As the elders come forward, uh, let me pray as we come to this table. Father, if we thank you for this moment of which we're about to partake, and we ask that you would bless it to us. Set aside this bread and this cup and use them to remind us of the sacrifice you made for us on the cross and strengthen our faith because of it for your service. In the name of Jesus, amen.